Hey everybody, it's Pastor Dylan and welcome to the Dayspring Wesleyan Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take the time to download our church app. It's the best way to stay connected to the life of the church. All you have to do is go to the app store, search for Church Center, download and enter the information for our church. You will then be connected to our church community. I hope the following presentation inspires you to move closer to God in this journey we call faith. Enjoy. Good morning, church. So I want to uh, start off today with a couple of announcements we want to make sure that you're aware of, and we know that some of them were mentioned up there. Uh, but we do have Trunk or Treat happening next week, which we're really excited about. Uh, they did tell me we still need some help in a couple areas. Uh, some of the areas we need help with are food service and then food prep. And then we would like to get about 20 more cars so we could have those trunks. And so, uh, so if you could bring those, um, or we could steal them, whichever way. But if you could sign up today, that would be awesome. You can sign up on our website or on our app. But we'd love to have you here, and if you can't even supply the candy, we're able to help out with that. We just want to have a number of cards for people to go through, and again, that's going to be a big day for us. Uh, volunteers, if you're helping out, we need to arrive at 2 next week, and then uh, regular, like if you are just attending for the candy and bringing your kids and stuff, we're suggesting you might want to come just at 4.30, uh, because that's when less traffic will be there at that time, so a lot of people come right away. Um, the other thing is... Uh, we just mentioned Harris the Third is coming. Harris the Third is a uh, illusionist magician who's been coming in and uh, sharing his, his wonderful talent with us, and we're really excited. Again, we saw him a couple years ago, and we're just uh, just moved by what he does. And so he does these uh, what we call random acts of kindness. Uh, we're going to show one of those clips at this time, but um, they're like random acts of magic with a random acts of kindness sort of in it. So if you play that video. <clears throat> and just got home from filming a random act of magic and we were hungry so we decided to order a pizza but when the delivery guy gets here to serve us our pizza we're gonna serve up a little bit of kindness to him hey, how's it going? hey man how are you all right good how's it been having a good night yeah it's all right yeah twelve dollars even twelve dollars yeah. um twelve i thought it was supposed to be five it's not five uh-uh it's twelve i got five bucks will that work no. <laughs> no. Uh, all right, cool. Check this out. Hey, watch. This will be this will be cool. Watch. <laughs> okay. Sweet. Does that work? <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, that's like a hundred bucks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There you go. No kidding. That should cover it. Sure. Yeah, man. Really. Merry Christmas. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you it. You bet. Have a good night. Thanks. thanks for the pizza. Take care. All right. See you. Here, can you hold one end of this? This is cool. Here, hold the other end of this, like right there. I'm gonna put the pin right here in the middle. The same hand or different? The same hand. It doesn't matter. Yeah, same hand. Got it? Alright. See if I can do this. Ready for this? This is cool. Watch the pin. the door. What? I gotta go. <laughs> Alright, it's actually invisible right now, so it actually rematerializes. Re Check this out. See the ink on... You know what? I'm... Do I have it? No, this is a... Check your pockets. I'm losing my mind. I don't feel it. Wait. 
<laughs> Check this out. Uh, the receipt that you wrote your name on. This uh -huh. is this is cool. You ready? This happens fast. Piece piece of paper. All right, here we go. Holy moly! <laughs> I just hundred bucks. I know. Crazy part. You can actually inspect it. I see it. Check no no check it out. Make sure it's real. Is yeah. it a counterfeit or anything like that? Is that a real dollar bill? It's real. Well, it's all yours. Merry Christmas. Oh my God! Thank you. Y'all are awesome. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you're so. Woo. Thanks for the great service. Absolutely. So you know the girl beside her was like, I wish I would have waited on that guy. <laughs> you know. So if you watch her face, she's pretty excited. And she's like. Okay. So uh, anyways, we'd love for you to invite uh, a lot of people next week because we really think it's a good non-threatening way to get people in church for the first time. So invite friends, family, people you love, even your enemies, bring them, okay? Because it's going to be an excellent time for them to be part of this. Uh, also wanted to say on behalf of my family, um, thank you. As many of you know, my mom passed away on Friday and we were, uh, we were able to be with her. And so um, uh, she, did, she did so peacefully, but a lot of you have, have uh, sent cards, emails, texts, and uh, written on social media and, and brought us food, which is always a good thing because we're Osborns and we love to eat, so um, that's good. But um, just thank you for, uh, for doing that. Um, and to know like my, my sarcasm and my humor and my love for God, that's, that's all from my, from my mom. And uh, um, we were, uh, my sister, she can be funny at times too. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, I don't know what, but, you know, it's very, like, not normal, but, uh, but anyways, we were, uh, you know, sort of going through this emotional time, and uh, near the end, um, we thought mom could probably use a little bit of morphine, and to know my mom, she'd be like, you better not give me morphine, you know, because that's a drug, and I'm not, you know, I don't want to be addicted, you know, even though this is the end of her life, and so, uh, so anyways, uh, dad said we probably should give her some, and so when the nurse came, she said, this will just be something to help you, you know, not breathe, they never told her what it was, and, and so she passed a couple hours afterwards, and my sister said, you know mom's up in heaven going, that dirty dog, he gave me morphine, and now I'm addicted, you know, and probably telling Jesus, I didn't take it willingly, you know, so anyways, that's, uh, my mom would probably appreciate that humor more than anybody. <laughs> but anyway, so thank you uh, for what you showed us. So uh, if you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 22, looking at verses 1 through uh, 14. Um, now that I've talked about, you know, one of the loves of my life, I, I want to uh, go the opposite direction today and tell you about some of the things that I hate in life. All right. So um, I, first of all, there's certain things I don't like to eat. One of the things my wife keeps trying to push on me is peas. And I, I do not like peas. They're, they're just mushy to me and stuff. And I don't want to eat them. And I, I'm old enough to where I can make that decision on my own. So, okay, you're not going to force me to eat them. Uh, I, I hate spiders and I do hate snakes. And uh, matter of fact, if I have an ax in one hand and you have a snake in the other, your hand's coming off. All right, so I apologize for that. But that that's the way it's going down. I don't like horror movies. Those of you who do, I think you're nuts. You know, but I just, I just don't like to be scared. Matter of fact, if I wanted to be scared, I'd probably look at some of your teenage pictures when you were going through the awkward stages, you know. Um, I do hate, uh, I hate child abuse. I hate uh, <clears throat> drug abuse. hate pornography. I hate when bad things happen to good people. I hate adultery. I hate stealing, lying, and disrespect. I hate gossip. 
seen it affect so many people. I hate how the devil twists the thinking of our society uh, with struggling to know what is right and wrong. And obedience to God and his word are right, and disobedience to him and changing his word is wrong. I'm sure, uh, uh, like many of you, you probably have that one family secret that you hate. You know, we, we, we have those in our family. probably that one secret honestly if you knew about our family it would probably change the way you think about us and so those are hard things to share and struggled with it for you know several years and um some of you may know our dear little secret um some of you are probably hoping to know and others of you probably be scared to find out what it was but this secret has been a burden to me and my brothers for years and uh set we were born in Michigan, and uh, yeah, and I hate Michigan. You know, I mean, I, I just do. It's it's something we've had to contend with, and I I kept thinking in my mind that you couldn't get us out of the state just to be born, like, you know. So yeah, so there are several things that uh, that uh, I hate in life, and uh, to be honest, this story today that we're sharing is one of those stories that I just hate. I, I don't like it. I don't like reading it. This is the story of, of Abraham when God asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac on an altar. And I just hate the story. It's, it's tough to wrestle with. It's tough to deal with. Um, I also have a son named Isaac. And so even as I prepare this message, I keep thinking, man, Lord, to have to offer my son up like that, man, that's, that's a tough thing you're asking right there. Um, but I also know this. I think this story is very helpful for with things that some of us go through in life. And so as I read and look at this story, even though I don't fully understand everything, it's been enriching to me. And I'll tell you, there's some things in life that I, I honestly don't quite understand. And, and I had a tough time um, dealing with this message. And the reason is, is because there are many of you that um, through one way or another, I, I sort of know your stories. I know some of the things that you've been through. Uh, I know that some of you um, have been uh, sexually abused as children. Uh, I know some of you have been physically abused as children. I know some of you have had hateful words said to you and lies told to you. And these were things beyond your control. And so I wrestle with those because it's, it's tough. You know, because how could a good God allow these kind of things to happen to people, um, and I know all the I, I know all the like the theological answers. I do, you know. I, I I know, and and I can work my way through it. But to look somebody in the eye who's had these things happen to them, and talk to them, man, it's a tough, tough, tough discussion. And so those things are tough, and I don't always know how to answer those. But I also know that there are just some things that we go through that where. Um, I would describe them as this. My sister and uh, I think it's my sister and my um, sister-in-law, um, they're both like uh, uh, claustrophobic, you know, and they, they hate being in tight situations. They hate being like where the walls feel like they're coming in. Um, my, my sister probably blames us on us throwing a blanket over her head when she was young and holding her under there or something, you know, but uh, I'm, I'm thinking that's probably the way she would go. Um, but there are, the, the, for them, there's these moments when it probably feels like everything's tightening in around them. And you feel like you need to get out of this situation. And even though I can't identify physically with that sort of understanding and idea, 
I do know that there are times in life where there are things that have come up that it just feels like the walls are closing in around us. You know, some of you in your marriages, it just feels like the walls are closing in around you. Some of you with raising your kids and how do you instruct them and some of the decisions they're making it may just feel like the, the walls are sort of caving in around you. There can be things at work that we're struggling or dealing with and, and it can feel that way. And for Abraham, who was told that he would have a son and from this son, you know, multiple generations would come through and then to have to offer him up, I'm thinking that moment, man, it must have just felt like the walls were kind of caving in around him. So let's read the story together today and see sort of what approach that Abraham took through it all. So Genesis 22, 1 through 14 says this, sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to Abraham, here I am. He replied, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on that boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the intensity of this word this morning and the wrestling that we have to do with some of the passages and within even our own context, our own life. I pray today as we think about how we are journeying through this life, that we would be able to examine our own motives and our own hearts and understand how that we sometimes can be just like Abraham and that if we can use him as an example of how you get through some of this stuff. I pray today that if there's anything that I would misspeak, that you would clean it up in the ears of, the, of your people so that the only thing they hear from you is from you today. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so one of the things I wanted to look at today is I thought, man, how can Abraham go through this sort of struggle and how did he push through? And so I want to give you four stages of journeying through what we call like the wall or some of these significant moments that come in your life. First of all, I want to tell you this. I believe that preparation is necessary in order to sort of journey in this life. Uh, Preparation for me, it's about learning through discipleship. 
And discipleship, if you think about it, which we have terms for that, it's sort of the process of making sure that you have somebody that you can model the behavior of. So as you go through life, if there's somebody you really respect, you say, well, I'm going to model that behavior because that's who I want to be. And some of you will have, maybe your parents would be that, could be grandparents, could be significant people in your life. Now, if you didn't grow up in a good, healthy family, it could be just somebody else that you looked off to as a distance and said, boy, I really like to emulate that person. I've often told you that for me, and even a lot of the, um, my siblings would say this, but my grandpa Osborne is one that we would often look to and say, boy, we'd really like to emulate him, the way that he went through life and um, the way he dealt with people. And I'd say, boy, I'd, I'd really like to be like him. But I have to tell you this. If you choose a parent or if you choose a significant person in your life uh, to emulate or to model, I promise you that will always fall short. All right, because for me, and what I'm learning is that people fail us all the time, but the one person that doesn't is Jesus Christ. And when we become a disciple of Jesus, we are emulating somebody that is perfect in thought and deed and the way he went about life. So oftentimes, some of you might say, well, I really want to emulate this person. And sometimes it might even be a pastor. It might be the youth pastor, children's pastor. But listen, do not emulate us. Because I promise you that I will fail you. Because I know there are times that I do not respond or act the way a Christian should. I know there are times that I don't emulate who Jesus is. And so I will fail you. And it's like I tell my kids, please. And they would be like, yeah, yeah, dad, don't worry. We got that one. No, no problem, you know. But I would say, please emulate Jesus Christ. He is the perfect example of one that we should follow. I bet uh, probably, and maybe you understand this, but I believe that through what Abraham went through, it was a preparation for things that were going to come. As a matter of fact, if you were preparing for a trip, I bet how you prepare today is much different than you prepared for like 10 years ago. You know, because we've been on enough experiences, we've been on enough trips to say, I know what I need and I know what I don't need. And so there are times when maybe we might overpack because we're thinking about, man, this happened in this last trip. But there are times that we say, well, we don't really need that. And so you kind of cast those things aside. But going through a journey and experiencing a trip, you know, these are the things we need. These are the things we don't. And so when Abraham was going through life and learning, and by the way, I want you to watch as we talk about him. Because there are some really positive things he does, and then there's just some really messed up things he does as well. But through all that journey, he is processing and learning how to get through all this. Abraham went through many things before he was ever asked to sacrifice his son. And we know this is true because in verse 1 it tells us, sometime later. In other words, if you break that translation down, I've already told you all those things so you understand how he's reacting now. And there's a passage in this, um, there's a passage that coincides with what we're reading today, and that's in Hebrews, and it's in 11, 8 through 16. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to read you a couple of verses because it also talks about here is the faith of Abraham. Here are the things that were happening before he was called to offer his son. So in uh, verse 8, it starts out, by faith, Abraham was called to go to a place where he would later receive an inheritance, obeyed, and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in a promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs to him at the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city of foundations, who architect and builder is God. 
And by faith, even Sarah, who was childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, he who made him the promise. And then it goes on to talk again about the promised land and all these things that are happening. But if you go back to chapters like 11, 12, all the way up to 21, you're going to see all these sort of decisions that are happening in Abraham's life, which I believe are discipleship sort of moments. And a matter of fact, God tells Abraham to go. What does Abraham do? He goes. I mean, it's the craziest thing to me. He leaves everything he knows and he goes. Why? Because he knows the voice of God. Matter of fact, when we get into this story and God calls out to him, Abraham, he says, here am I. Why? Because he knows the voice of God. And when God calls him to do something, he goes. So that's a great thing that he was trusting in God and believing him. But then they came to this place and there was famine in the land. And in order to be taken care of, they thought, well, we need to go over with the Egyptians. And then it says that Abraham looked at his wife and he was like, man, you're way too hot for me. And uh, they know it. And so when we go into this kingdom, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell them that you're my sister. And he said, then they'll probably take you in, and then I'll get all this stuff. I mean, really, that's what he's kind of saying. Now, again, you have to understand that this is one of the mistakes he's making. Because it's almost as if he doesn't trust God, and he's trying to say, well, even though God called us here, I'm going to take things into my own hands, because I, because I don't believe it's going to work the way he said and so he takes things into his hand. Ends up, Pharaoh has a dream and realizes that Sarah is more than his sister, it's his wife. And so he says, hey, can't do this. And he says, take all your stuff. You can stay around here. You'll be protected. But I don't know why you told me this lie. And he's caught in that moment. Now, again, it's a learning moment. And if anyone's ever been caught in a lie, it reminds you, man, maybe I better not tell a lie the next time. So he starts to deal with this. Now, the other thing that began to happen to him is his, his, his flocks began to grow and he had his nephew with him a lot and his flocks began to grow as well. And the two of them kind of came to a decision that we still can't be together. So one of us needs to go one way and the other, the other. And Abraham told I, or Lot, he says, Lot, you choose. So Lot looks at this sort of fertile thing that where the water is and everything that's going. And then he sees this city there and he says, I'd really like to be near the city life and I'd like to have all this good land. So that's the direction that I want to go. Now we know later that it was Sodom and Gomorrah that he chose to be at, which is just a wicked place. But God tells Abraham again, says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to increase your herds. Now, sometime later, Sodom and Gomorrah gets taken over by another kingdom. And this other kingdom comes in and they, they, take, all the, uh, they take a bunch of the people and they take all their livestock and all their food and everything with them and, and they leave the place and Lot, his nephew, Abraham's nephew, is in that group. Well, Lot hears about it. Lot says, I'm going after them. And I'm going to take back everything that is ours and theirs. And so he goes and he gets, he saves basically Sodom and Gomorrah. He gets everything back and he gets his nephew back. And his nephew continues to live there, which is again, a sinful, wicked place. The king of Sodom comes up to Abraham and he says this. He says, Abraham, because you have saved us, I'm going to give you all of this stuff. And Abraham looks at him, learning, and says this. I do not want any of your stuff. Because I believe that God is going to grow my flocks. And if I take your stuff and my flocks begin to grow, then you'll say it was because of you that they grew. And I want God to get the recognition. So good. It's a great learning moment. And you would think that he would be on a good trajectory there. But then we later find out that Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. Um, we find that God makes covenants over and over with Abraham. And by the way, if you know what the word Abram means, Abram means this. It means exalted father. 
Now, how would you like the name Exalted Father, and yet you have no children? And the dude is getting old. He's in his 80s, you know, and these things are starting happening, and he has no children. How would you like people to say, Abram, Exalted Father, how many children do you have? Zero. You have no children. He's later given the name Abraham. You know what the name Abraham means? Father of multitudes. Again, no children. But God begins to set up this covenant with Abraham and Sarah. And he tells them, you're going to get all of this stuff. And here's what's crazier in the story again. (laughs) Um, Again, another country comes in and there's a king Abimelech and they're within his reign. And again, he tells his wife to lie. Tell him you're my sister. And they go through all that stupidity again and all this disease and flex these people. And they say, why did you lie to us again? Get out of here. Now, they know the promise of God. And the promise of God was that they were going to have a child. Sarah looked at herself, I'm way too old to have a child. And so she takes her servant, Hagar. She takes her servant and gives it to Abraham. And Abraham has a child, and the child's name is Ishmael. But then Sarah gets super jealous. Even though she's the one who sort of pushed this on him. She gets so mad at him for taking it on and having a son. He gets jealous and says, why don't you, why don't you leave? And so Ishmael and Hagar have to go away, and then they come back, and she can't hardly deal with it. And then later, later Sarah becomes pregnant. And she has a son named Isaac. And when she has a son named Isaac, she gets very jealous again and has Hagar and Ishmael sent away. Now, God so blessed those people, but it wasn't the way that God wrote it. God wanted to do it this way. But Sarah and Abraham, once again, tried to take things into their own hands. And every time they tried to take things into their own hands, they made it worse. You know, I don't know about you, but maybe there are times in your life that are preparing you for some of the things you have to face later. So maybe there's some of those times that you maybe have got cut from the team. Maybe there are some of those decisions that you had made that weren't right. Maybe you lied. Maybe you cheated on a test. And maybe you got caught and found out. But maybe those times have set you up to say, let's not go down this path anymore. Maybe there are some things that have happened in your life that it caused you to go get so intense in your reading and so intense in your love for God that the only thing that could help you through those moments is to love God more, read his word more. And in those moments, you began to grow. And you were being discipled. And maybe those moments are setting you up for some of the other things that you may face or have to go through in life. You see, those things were setting up Abraham for this sort of next test or next phase in his life. How much do you really love me? How much will you really trust me? And so which brings us into the second step. And I think it's this. It's one of examination. And so if we look at verses 1 through 6, we'll read this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. And it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had set him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. 
Abraham took the wood for the offering, for the burnt offering, and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. I think that there are some examinations, and I think what examinations happen is it's about testing our resolve. And I want you to know, I believe that there's a difference because I think some of us try to sort out really what's from God and could this be from the devil? And I want you to understand this. There's a difference between temptations and testing. Okay? When you are tempted, it's the devil's way of bringing you down. When you are tested, it's the difference of God trying to bring you up. Like he has enough faith in you that you will get through this very thing and it will help other people as well. Our testing produces perseverance. It helps us get through some of the crazier, strangest things in life. Now, again, when you read this story, by the way, even the author, I think, believes that this is a crazy story. That's because, and that's why he gives us a little insight to it at first. He basically says that sometime later, God tested Abraham. So it was like the author's way of saying, before you read this story, Know that it's just a test. You know, it's just a doot. You know, this is a test, emergency broadcasting system. You ready to listen in? Like, this was never God's intent to kill Isaac. It was only a test. When we come through some of the most difficult things in life, and we come through some of the testing in life, it's a time and opportunity to really examine ourselves. And I have to tell you, one of the things that I get the privilege of doing, I get the privilege of doing um, many weddings. And I love standing up there with a couple and watching them sort of gaze into each other's eyes. But there becomes this moment when we have to go through the vows. And the vows are what? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, and in health. Like those are, the, those are the regular things. And I love it because when we start the things, we always start with the guy first. And the guy will look intently into my eyes and he'll say, for better, for worse. And I'm like, hey, you might want to say it to her not me. You know what I'm saying? So we try to make sure, because I'm like, this is really getting awkward as you're giving these vows, you know? But I think probably what's going through most couples' minds when they're saying that is for better, for richer, and health. But you really find out when a couple loves each other, when they're poor, when they're sick, when they're not doing well. That's when you really find out when somebody loves somebody. You see the way somebody reacts and is with somebody when they're sick. And they take care of them. That person loves them. You've lost everything in life, all your riches. That person loves them. They're still with them. And that is really testing our resolve. You see, probably when he got this word of God, I'm sure then he spent the night praying and thinking, and Lord, I can't believe you're asking me to do this. And this sounds so crazy, and is this really from you? And there's probably a self-examination that he was going through. And there's probably the same thing that we go through. Lord, why, why now? Why this time? Why, why do I have to step into this? Man, this is too hard for me. I don't know if I can make it. We start to examine other people. Lord, are they really on my side? Are they really trying to help me? Are they just trying to take advantage of me? And we process those things. And we just kind of get sort of beside ourselves. But I think what happened for Abraham is this. I think because of all the discipleship and all the things that he knew about God, I think he knew the character of God in such a way that he knew that he needed to fully submit because God was going to take care of it. Man, what a place to be. 
to know that even though when I come through some of the deepest, hardest struggles and times in life, even when I come through these moments when there just seems the wall put up in front of me and I don't know how to get around them or over them or through them, that God will be there with me because I know his character and I know his love for me and I know he's going to help me through it. You see, thirdly is this, he submitted to God's will. And I think it's interesting because I think why he was praying and why his resolve was tested, I honestly think he came to the place, and Scripture tells us this, that he knew that God would take care of him. Matter of fact, um, there's probably a point where, um, and again, if you read this passage, I want you to watch, it says Abraham, when Isaac asked him, where's the sacrifice going to be? He said, God will take care of it. So he either thought he was either going to bring the sacrifice or he might have even been willing to resurrect him. And I mean, it's a crazy thing, but listen to the the sound. He said to his two servants that were with him, he says, we're going to go worship God. By the way, when you're going through some tough things in life and you feel like you're at a wall, probably the best thing you can do is you can just worship God because it's a reminder of his greatness and his goodness. And that he's going to be there to help us and carry us through. He said, I want you guys to wait here and we will be back. In other words, even though I'm going through this process, and even if God doesn't provide the sacrifice, I believe in God enough that he'll probably raise him from the dead. You see, it's about trusting the guide or trusting God. Do you believe in God enough to carry you or take you through? And I had a tough time with the resurrection concept, honestly. Because like when I read this story, I'm like, I don't know if I see that there. And all the commentaries kept saying it. But then I forgot. There's this whole passage in Hebrews that gives us this answer. And so in Hebrews 11:17 17 through 19, listen to this. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had been embraced, the promise, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So Abraham believed that he would in fact be raised. Now here's the other crazy thing about this story. And I want you to think about this for a moment. In your mind, when you hear this story of Abraham and Isaac, how old do you picture and don't say this out loud. How old do you picture Isaac? I mean, I've seen a lot of pictures, and I used to look at the pictures in my Bible, you know, when I was reading. But I really believed him to be like a little boy. Little boy ain't carrying up that kind of firewood, is he? Matter of fact, from what we know about scholars, they said that Isaac was probably anywhere from 13 to 36. And most scholars believe he's around the age of 25. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. What 100-year-old man is going to bound up a 25-year-old? Okay? I got a 10-year-old named Isaac. Well, he's going to be 10 this week. And I got a 10-year-old, and I promise you, he might let me bind him up a little bit. But as soon as I start putting him on the wood and bringing the fire out, that dude is out of there. He's yelling for mom, and I'm in trouble. You know? But Isaac, at the age of 25, that means he had to willingly submit himself. There was something in Abraham that Isaac saw that said, if you believe in this God enough, then I'm willing to follow it as well. And there, there was the submission of both Abraham and Isaac. 
And I still think that story is crazy because I promise you the next time, you know, Abraham says, hey, you want to go on a trip with me? No, I'm good. And you try to kill me. Say, we ain't doing that again. I ain't falling for that one, you know. Or, you know, mom's going to be there too. Yeah. Leads us to the fourth thing, and I think which is really appropriate for Abraham, and that's the anticipation. Verses 11 through 14 says this, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, Lord. He said, don't touch that boy. Here's the sacrifice that was offered for you. And saw a ram in there. I'm sure he got his boy up there as quick as he could. Isaac probably jumped up as quick as he could, got the bounce off. And they sacrificed the ram instead. And they saw the miracle that God did as he brought him through this desperate time. And, and the angel said to him, because you have not withheld your son, you're going to experience all this goodness. It says, Abraham called this the place the Lord will provide. And listen, and to this day on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided, another future tense. Now, if some of you do your history and some of the calculations here, some people believe that this place is the exact place that Jesus was crucified. Now, others believe, they may not believe it was the exact mountain tip, but they believe that it was part of the mountain range that it was part of. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. And I want you to think about this story, and I want you to see the parallels with me. Because there is a future thing that is happening, that is being represented even now. I want you to recognize the, par the parallels in the story. First of all, Isaac was a miracle baby. Sarah was way too old to be having a baby at this point. Jesus was a miracle baby born of a virgin. Isaac was promised to Abraham and Sarah long before he came. And they had to wait and wait and wait. Jesus was promised to us long before he came. And they waited and they waited. Isaac was named before he was born. Jesus was named before he was born. Isaac was called the only begotten son, which, by the way, is weird. Why? Because Ishmael was still there. And over and over they keep saying, this is your only son. In other words, it's the only promised son. And Jesus was, on, was God's only begotten son as well, promised to us. Three people made the journey well. Uh, there was, as Abraham watched along, there was Isaac, and then there was the two servants. Three of them made the journey to Golgotha, Jesus and the two criminals as God watched. Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice. Jesus carried the wood for the sacrifice. Isaac gave himself willingly. Jesus gave himself willingly. You remember how long the journey took up the mountain? So in the eyes of Abraham, his son was dead for three days. And then God provided the miracle. For three days, Jesus laid in a tomb. And then God brought him back to life. Isaac was resurrected as God provided a ram. And listen to this. And all of heaven marveled at the love of Abraham had for God. Jesus was resurrected. And all of heaven marveled at the love God had. For humanity. 
To me, the anticipation is about seeing God's hand. It's about seeing the hand of God at work. And I have to tell you this morning, if you give me just a little liberty, and I didn't do this for a service. But I started thinking about this, and I started thinking about my mom, and I have to tell you that Abraham's faith was huge. And if you knew my mom, and you knew the things that she went through, she had a nephew, or not a nephew, a grandson that lost his leg, and she heard the screams of of, uh, my sister and making that decision. She lost a daughter-in-law. She's been betrayed by family and friends. She had to endure um, people saying things about me in the ministry. And she had cancer. She lost a sister and brother early on in life and had to see how that affected her dad. She lost a sister to cancer. We found out she had cancer, and I think it was like seven to ten days later, she was gone. She got another sister who's struggling through, I think, Parkinson's or something, can barely move. But my mom went through cancer for a number of years. And some people will say, well, she lost her battle with cancer. Man, she didn't lose her battle. Because I promise you, my mom never lost her faith. And so I look at Abraham and I say, what great faith. But today I look at my mom and I say, Mom, thank you for your faith. That through all those things you went through, you always believed God. And it should be credited to you as righteousness. There is an end um, quote that I wanted to give you. And it's from Helen Steiner Rice, who is a uh, author or poet. And she wrote these words. In everything, both great and small, we see the hand of God in all. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but the thing I love about her the most is she's from Ohio, I found out. So whatever she says, got to be truthful. But she lost her father to an epidemic when she was young. And she got married later in life to a banker, and they did well. But when a recession hit, he lost everything and ended up committing suicide. And her words are this. And everything, both great and small, we see the hand of God and all. Would you stand with me this morning, church? The question I leave you with today is how will you see the hand of God as you journey through the wall? I want to open up again the altar because I believe that there may be some of you today who are up against it. And you feel like the walls are caving in around you and you may want to spend some time praying this morning. And as I pray today or even if now, if you want to come down and pray at the altar and you want some of us to pray with you, we will. You can pray in your seat as well. It doesn't matter. That's not the big point. But if some of you just want some of us to pray or you just want to have this moment with God. We're going to play a song as we leave today that my brother said, hey, man, I think this song will be perfect. And so I added, it's even if. But let's pray together. And if some of you want to come down, just come down this morning. And we want to pray with you as you're sort of going through some of the tough stuff in life. And let us help you pray your way through. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for lives that have been lived in front of us. Those who have taken the path. And it hasn't always been the path of least resistance, but it has been a path that has been marred and troubled with pain and hurts. 
and trying to figure our way through. I thank you for those godly examples who have said, even though and even if these things happen, I'm still committed to a God who desperately loves me. Help us in our times of discipleship to know your voice, to know your character, and to know that you will lead us through. And help us in anticipation knowing that once we get out of that thing, you're going to use it to bless others as well. And then, Father, we have this one last anticipation, knowing that you will come for us again one day. And so we say thank you. And we ask for your blessing upon all today. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, church, thanks for being here with us today. And we'll see you again next week. And we'll be praying with some this morning. Once again, thanks for listening. If you are in the Marion area, we would love to engage with you at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fantastic children and student ministries, visit us at dayspringwesleyan.org. That's dayspringwesleyan.org. Dot org.